Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 2017 and 1 John 4, 15 through 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, good to see everybody else here as well. It is, as Eric said, it's a little toasty in here, and we are working on it. Uh, we haven't had, there is air conditioning theoretically in this building, and uh, we're still working to try to get that fixed. Uh, but we're still glad that you came out. This is a throwback to, to how it felt a couple hundred years ago, so we're just associating with, with all that. That's all good. Um, all right. Well, today, we are wrapping up our series on the Ten Commandments. We started this series a long time ago, I believe back in April in the spring, and we did that because everyone seemed to have a manual for how everyone else should live. I don't know if you've noticed this, but social media is full of people who are telling everybody else how they need to be living their lives. Everybody else has an idea about what will lead to human flourishing. And by the way, I want to tell you about that and let me explain how you should be living your life. Left or right politically, this is happening. Rich and poor, uh, rural versus city, religious versus not religious. Everybody has a code of law, a, 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 a manual to live, and then we want to tell each other. And so what we did was, is we said, you know what, let's do a series on the Ten Commandments because these things have been, become platitudes that we just sort of know in the back of our head. They're very famous, but we need to turn them into the blueprints of life. We need to see how they're the manual by which we can live. Now today, we get to the very last command, do not covet. And in, it's important to know what really for all these Ten Commandments, but particularly for this one, 
these were given to a people that had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Now, for those of you who, uh, just for perspective, America is less than 250 years old. So these people had been enslaved for a long time. And as they're coming up out of Egypt, God felt the need to say, hey, do not covet. I know you haven't had possessions. I know you haven't had much, but you're about to walk into the land of, of milk and plenty. You're about to be given everything you've ever wanted. I'm going to give you homes. I'm going to give you possessions. I'm going to give you stuff. And as soon as you get it, what's going to happen is as soon as you get a home, you're going to want somebody else's home. As soon as you get an ox or a donkey, you're going to want that person's ox and donkey. And so what I think God is trying to say here is there is something about the human condition that as soon as it has anything, it wants more. And this command addresses that. So let's just look at three things today. Let's look at what is coveting, what's wrong with coveting, and then how to covet well. I'll say it again. What's wrong, what, what, what is coveting, what's wrong with coveting, and then how do you covet well? So first, what does it mean to covet? What is coveting? And, and I bring this up because a lot of folks, you know, th- that word's thrown around, but what does it really mean? The problem is actually the Hebrew word for coveting is multifaceted. Sometimes it's translated as desire. Sometimes it's translated as a thought. Sometimes it's translated as an action. And the truth is, coveting is all those things. I like to think of it sometimes as a progression. Sometimes it starts with a thought. And as you think about it enough, it it leads to a desire. When you dwell on that desire, you meditate on it, and it turns into an action. So to put it very simply coveting basically is we do what we want because the heart wants what it wants. Have you ever heard that phrase, the heart wants what it wants? I, I used to think it came from Woody Allen when, you know, when uh, I think when he was trying to justify having an affair with his 18-year-old daughter at the time, he said, people asked, why would you do this? He goes, the heart wants what it wants. But this week I did some research on this. This actually came from Emily Dickinson who wrote that in a letter to a friend and if, depending on your generation, you might know it from uh, Selena Gomez's um, song. So depending on which generation, it's been around. And I bring up these references because clearly, somewhere, even in, in our society, we know this is how we act. This is fundamental to who we are. Now, what's interesting for our purposes today is that if you go through the list of Ten Commandments, this is our summary ser- sermon, S- commands one through nine almost always are about behaviors and actions, but this one is different. This is about the heart. That it's, and that, that, that finally mean, means that we need to think about this differently. I think life would be easy if it was only about actions and behaviors, right? Because we have a lot of information out there. We have a lot of education and information, and if we just listened to these, these things, we would all be super healthy and super wealthy. You wanna know why? We have the information to be healthy Eat these foods, don't eat those foods. Exercise, live right, uh, you know, save your money, invest it this way. If you actually did those things, everybody would be great. But the problem is, is it's not just about that. The command notes that education is not going to be enough. That, li- that, that, that the information is not enough. That the heart wants what it wants. And it loves what it loves. And therefore, it does what it does because there's something about the action, thought, desire, coveting that's in the heart and not just in the mind. 
Now, before we move on, I, I need to note this. Coveting in and of itself is not wrong. You go, wait, I thought it says do not covet. Ah, but coveting, what is it again? It's the desire that leads to action through meditation. But that can be good, couldn't it? Couldn't you covet good things? If you go to Isaiah chapter 53, 2, it says that you should desire the Messiah. And in Hebrew, the word desire there, that's the same word for coveting. Or if you go to Psalm 68, 16, it says covet Mount Zion. Covet beauty. Covet goodness. And so I think this is actually an important thing to, to note. Coveting in of itself is not wrong. Which means the Eastern religions, Buddhism and a lot of and Taoism and a lot of these other Eastern religions, they all say desire is the problem. Get rid of desire. Get rid of those kind of those feelings. And then modern Western culture says, hey, most desires are pretty good. You should do those desires. But Christianity comes out and says it depends. It depends on what the desires are on. So the command here is trying to say, hey, human flourishing is about desiring the right things. And so it depends on what we desire. So go back to the text that, that's in your bulletin on, uh, online right now. The text says, do not desire what? Don't, do not desire and covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your, the ox, the donkey. So, ah, now we see the problem isn't coveting per se. It's what you end up coveting. So this command is about misplaced desires. It's about uh, uh, inordinate desires, over-desires. So for example, let's say you desire somebody else's home. By the way, there's nothing wrong with going, hey, that's a nice home. I really like that home. But what happens if that thought starts, you start dwelling on that thought. You say, yeah, I want that home. I need that home. That should be my home. Why do they have that home? And as Give it some time. Let it, let it turn into years. Let it turn into a dwelling where you feed it and you, you nurture this thought and it becomes a desire and becomes this action. You start working towards it and now it's coveting. Now there, it leads to discontentment. And when you're discontented, you have a lack of being comfortable with your situation. You have a lack of being okay with who you are and where you are. Put it in reverse. Let's put it positively. If you're following this command well, it means bad things will happen to you. There will be family loss. There will be job loss. There will be issues and problems in your life, right? But though there's disappointments, though, there, though there's hurt, right? Happiness is not just about doing everything great and every, your life going great. Though that your life will be hard, the opposite of covenant is contentment. You, sh you should still be able to be content in all things. That's what this command is about. Right? If you want to know what, what, what does it mean to covet, it means to be in, coveting in and of itself is not wrong, but coveting improperly means placing something in your life where you can't be content. That's the first point. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. 
If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now, secondly, okay, fine. What's wrong with coveting? By the way, we kind of need to say this now in our cultural location. People have used coveting and do not covet uh, poorly. Some people will say, hey, isn't that what oppressors say to the oppressed? Isn't that what people with power, they look down on people without power and they say, hey, you should be comfortable with what you have. Do not covet. You know, you should, you should be content with what you have. People, by the way, have misused the Ten Commandments. They've done it. They have. They have. You can't. You can misuse any of these Ten Commandments, including this one. People have used it in power ways like this. That doesn't nullify the truth that's latent in them. That when we covet the wrong things, what happens? It destroys contentment because you can't live and be at peace with what you have anymore. Because the covet wrongly means to desire something that you say, hey, only if I have that, then will I be okay. Which is where it gets kind of ironic, because if you go, remember, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. Command one through nine, you don't break commands one through nine unless you break the Tenth Commandment first. How do I know that? Because you don't steal. When you steal, what happens? What, you steal because you feel like you have to have, or else you're not going to get it. Because why do you have to have it? Because you desire it, the Tenth Commandment. By the way, if you don't believe me, go to the, a nursery. Any nursery, you see a kid with a toy, and the other kid says, mine, <laughs> and just grabs it. I see it, I have to have it, I want it, and they grab it. Basically what we do, but they haven't figured out how to cover it up and make it look kind of all nice and clean, uh, because, um, because that's what you do when you want something, when you covet it. Another example of, of how you break any of the other commands, when you break the Sabbath command, why do you break the Sabbath? Because you say, you know what, there's other things out there I want to do that are more important, because I desire those things. I need those things. That's all coveting. Now, let me try to make a distinction here. Coveting is not just wanting something. It's okay to want a, a job. It's okay to want a spouse. It's okay to want things. Coveting, though, is taking lovely things and loving them inordinately. In other words, all lovable things should not be loved equally. I'll say that again. All lovable things should not be loved equally. You should love God more than your job. If you don't, if you love your job more than, than God, that's going to lead to that breakdown. And that is what's an inordinate desire, which is then where this gets so tricky. Sin is not generally bad things. I'm mostly not worried that you're going to walk out of here and do bad things today. That's just not how it works. Sin generally is taking good things and making them ultimate, making them too important in your life. Which is why I think we can hide sin from ourselves. We walk out and we're like, we're not so bad. We're, we're okay. Because why? The world will look at the things that we're inordinately desiring and saying, hey, those are good things. And you're going to say the same thing. Sure, they're good things. One in a job, one in a spouse, one in a house, one in an apartment. Desiring these things are not bad. It's the order by which we do it. And so most of life, I believe, is worth loving. But the 10th commandment here is saying that when you want, love, and desire something more than God, then when your security and identity 
is in that more than in him, that's what breaks you. That's what hurts you. And I personally believe that's actually why most of society is fracturing right before us. This is why I think um, coveting, since it's the process of taking a good thing, making an ultimate, Augustine brought this up long ago when he said that, uh, he, he said this is about a disordered heart. There's a guy named Phil Riken who used to be a pastor in Philly. He, he called it the if-only principle. I heard him preach a sermon once about Ahab, and Ahab was like, if only I had this vineyard, then I would be okay. And we do the same thing in our modern version, right? If only I had more money. If only I had, you know, this nice home or apartment with, a, you know, trees and space. If only I had... A, a bigger house, more stuff. By the way, um, to illustrate this, uh, I don't even remember the interview with, there was a billionaire named Nelson Rockefeller, and he was interviewed by a journalist, and the journalist said, hey, how much money is enough? And he famously said, he goes, just a little bit more. Right, there's a billionaire saying that, but just a little bit more, and I actually think he's right. There's actually a psychological principle that whatever you shoot for, you say, I need to get this, and then I'll be okay, if you ever achieve that, you actually redefine the base level and then you want the next level. Everybody does this. And they've actually proven this in America a couple, uh, I think, uh, I don't remember when, this, when the study happened, but they found that actually, you actually do get happier the more money that you make, up into about $40,000, which is fast, interesting. A lot of researchers believe that's because up into about $40,000 in America traditionally, you, that's what you need to have your, you know, your housing and your food and, and clothing. That's what you kind of need to kind of live life. But what they found is after $40,000, you can get more stuff, but it doesn't lead to more happiness. And yet we're still, here we are going, if only. And, and there, by the way, there's other versions of this, right? If only I had a different body. If only I, you know, wasn't single. I hear a lot of people say, if only I, I was single. If only, you know, I had, my spouse met my needs in the way that I want them to meet my needs. Right? The principle goes on and on and on. We are saying these phrases in various four versions every single day. Right? When you're a kid, it's like, if only I had that popsicle. <laughs> but as an adult, it morphs and it changes because we're basing our contentment on something else in this world. And when we do that, when we desire and covet and envy those things, it leads to breakdown. And, we'll, and this is where it gets really hard. Those one through nine, those are behaviors. Since this is a heart issue, the problem's on the inside, not the outside. Which is why Augustine wisely said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Why? I, I, let me try to illustrate this. If you have two of the exact same people, Two people, same salary, same job, same lifestyle, same family situation. They both at the same time lose their job. They both at the same time lose their, uh, their lifestyle and the way of doing things. And everything falls apart. If you are resting in him first, I don't know how your life will go. I don't, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be some craziness. But at the end of the day, you will have him. And you will be with him. And that will be enough. If you're not a Christian, or, or let's say you are a Christian, but you're not ordering your life in the right place, you know what's going to happen? 
You won't be able to help yourself. You're going to go after other things to fill your life to say, then I have to get more of that contentment, to get that happiness, to get that love. Maybe you never had it in the first place, and so you're out on that journey, and you, you, have, you think about it. Um, I heard one pastor say it this way. The way you know what that, what that thing is is when, when you daydream, when, you're, when you just sort of have more time, where does your, where does your heart go? What are you focusing on? Some not, for some of you, it's just Netflix. I just, I just need, need comfort, which is what? It's comfort. It's me time. It's my time. That's what, that, that's what you're like. I, I got to fill myself with that. That's what I ultimately need. And it's going to disappoint. I really believe that, um, you know, I, I, what happens here is people, most people, at least Christians, they say, I believe in God. I really do. I just, it's just down here. Some folks are like, I want to be married before, I be, before that. Some of you are like, I, I need to do these other things first. Which is why, by the way, when people go, oh, I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, I don't do these things, why? You believe in God, it's just down here. There's other things that are ahead of that, that are more important to you, that you feel like need to be done more than this. But if you do that, here's what's going to happen. First thing that's going to happen is this. If you believe success or beauty or happiness will lead to more of your contentment, you're going to be addicted to those things. What we know about addicts is, you know, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, is they, they need these things or else they can't have a happy life. But you can be addicted to exercise. You can be addicted to your job. It's called workaholism. You can be addicted to your family by idolizing them. And, you, and what, what happens is, is you kind of slap your arm for that needle of approval and you put in there and you go, ah, I got my dose. Uh, a couple months ago, um, you can ask my wife about this, I was, I was kind of bummed. I was walking around and just, I, I couldn't place wh- why I was. And I got an email actually from a, a, another pastor friend, prominent pastor in another church, and he's like, Mike, I've been listening to your Ten Commandments series. I love it. I'm going to do it in the fall. I'm going to use all your stuff. It's great. And I started that day, and really the next couple of I started walking around like this. I was like, what's up? So, so kind of started strutting, and I, I was like, I'm feeling pretty good. And then, and, then it, and then it hit me. I was bummed because I hadn't gotten the approval shot that I had been usually getting. But COVID kind of takes that away as everybody's distant and far away. And then when I got that email, I was like, all right, I'm all right now. And then I go, wait, I'm not all right. This is bad. I'm an addict. And I really believe we all are. You are too. We just don't know it. That's the problem with addicts. Most addicts don't know what they're addicted to. And that's our situation, and that's what this command is hitting. That's the, what hap- that's the first thing that happens if you uh, wrongly prioritize. The second thing is this. If you make something too high or too important, it can't handle the stress of, of being first. The, the classic example of this is your spouse. If you make your spouse too important, they are not going to be able to live up to your expectation. Or, but you could place anything there. If you put your job there, you put any kind of thing, creative thing, and say, that's it, it won't meet your expectations, and often you won't meet theirs, and it leads to breakdown. Or let's say, yeah, let's say you actually are happy right now. Some folks are pretty content. I got my, my life and my job, and, my, and everything's good. If it's inordinately there, you're going to live in this, like, what happens when it's gone? You're going to live in this fear and if you're not living that fear, when it is taken away, you're going to get angry. You're going to get bitter. 
because it's what you had is lost. Folks, I really believe we're built for desires. It's okay to have desires, but what our culture has done has taken these desires and put them into a place of prominence where now they're our identity. And when you make that your identity, the re- what, and we, what happens is now we've, we've weaponized them against each other. And what's so interesting, and we can have another conversation about this, but when your identity is fundamentally against somebody else's identity, you just fight on it, and, and now it's too fragile. It can't handle that role in your life. It's good to, to have identities, but it's important to know unless God is that first one, it can't, that other thing, whatever you place there, can't handle the place that you're putting it in. Most of you, I believe, you're not coveting your neighbor's ox or donkey. If you are, come see me. That would be really interesting. I'd love to know about that. But I do think that what we covet is things that we feel we need that if we don't have, we're lost. For me, the pandemic has revealed there was a lot more I was coveting. I didn't even know it. And I guess my question before we move on is this. What are those things for you? What have been the things that you've been coveting that you've been looking to for your contentment? What, you know, what, have you, what are the good things in your life that you've made ultimate and too important? That you've been going to, to the well of contentment in your life for that thing? Or lastly, what, where have you not been content in your life? And because of that, it's because you've misordered the priorities. Last point. Fine. Then how do we covet well? How do we... How do we reorder our desires? If the first command is what? Have no other gods before me. You know what essentially this 10th commandment is? To have right order desires, it means have no other gods before me. The first and the last are really mirrors of each other with everything in between, reflections. And so God is saying a rightly ordered life is to have me first or else there's breakdown. So how do you do that? The solution is seven words. Look in your text. Go to the 1 John passage. In 1 John, he is trying to summarize beautifully the entire law of God. He's summarizing all of the Ten Commandments and how they should operate in your life. Go to verse 19, seven words. We love because he first loved us. I'll say it again. We love because he first loved us. That's a profound and simple, so simple, but it's a profound statement. Because what it's saying is this. At the bottom, at the core, it all comes down to love. The reason God gave these commandments to these people is he had already saved them first. We've said this before, but I have to say it again. The first thing said in the list of Ten Commandments is this, I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I'm yours. I am, your, I am yours first. And John is now trying to say the further implication, ramification that God loves you is Jesus and what he's done. That is how God loves us because all love, all action, all meditation, all thought from us needs to be coming out of this principle. Let me show you how profound this is. The, the thing that you're hearing in the news, the thing that you're seeing worldwide right now is a demand for justice right now. The world is demanding justice, but Christians are not supposed to do justice for justice' sake. 
that when you do justice for justice's sake, what happens is often justice turns into vengeance, and vengeance into rage, and rage cannot reconcile with somebody else. You're just perpetually, you're mad. God, though, is reconciling all things to him. That's what, we, that's what we see when we zoom out. God's redeeming all of creation and restoring all of the world through him, to him. And so we are actually to do justice. It's a command. It's a biblical command. I can show you the places in the Bible. But we're to do it because of love. Love is the foundation for justice. And then if you do that, then you do justice not just for the victim, but for the victimizer. Then you do justice not just for the oppressed, but for the oppressor. It's not good for them as well. So Christians are to see justice as a form of love and obedience as a form of love and the Ten Commandments as a form of love. So then everything ends in love with Christianity because he first loved us. And therefore, a failure to love justice is a failure to love people, a failure to love the victims, a failure to love the the victimizers. But when you start with justice, go back again. What you're seeing in the world is you start with justice, you're just going to cancel people. There's going to be a line, there's the people in, and there's the people out. And I, hey, you're not in, you're out, so I'm done with you. But when you start with love, guess what? You can't keep anybody out. Think about it this way. There were laws 2,000 years ago. The Romans had laws to encourage the good of society. The Sanhedrin had laws to encourage the good of Jewish society, including the, this law. But what set the world on fire was this deeper application that it came out of love, that justice is just an offshoot of it. And that means you don't kick people out, you kick people up further into something greater. That means then when we fail to love justice, when we fail to love our neighbors, it's ultimately because you failed to see his love for us first. That's what it means to over-desire stuff. And to over-love stuff, we over-love it more than God himself. Because we think these things are going to love us better. But they can't. God, the stuff can't love you better than God's love. That's really our whole series in a nutshell, isn't it? The first command is love God more than anything else. And the last command is to love God more than anything else. And then everything else will be ordered right. So how do we do this? Go back to that verse 19. Right? If it's, we love because he first loved us, first thing, thought. Remember that. Don't just say, okay, I gotta love God now. That's not gonna work. That's working on your will. No, let the thought become a desire. Desire, how do you get the desire? First, you have to see he loved you. Only when you see that are you gonna say, why? Who is this person? The wonder of it all, the awe of it all has to profoundly impact you and then it moves you and say, I want to know more about him. I want to see more of him. I want to, I want to be more of him. And as you meditate on that, you're not going to just operate like kind of like a computer. Okay, I must now do love. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Your heart has to melt by his love first. And that happens with meditation. That happens by, by just thinking. Think and dwell on, wait, he did this before I even existed. He did this even before I even knew I needed it. He still did it for me. Why would he do that? Why? Because he loved you, because he loved you, because he loved you. Jesus, at the cost of his life, at great cost, brought you back. You have to take that in new every day. You have to make that central, that you are worth it. 
that he wanted that you. That, you, that has to be something that you look and you taste and you see and you sense and you make it so central that it profoundly impacts how you go out and live. What if we believe that Jesus desired us more than he desired infinite, infinitely anything else? That you are that loved and then loved people, if you're loved, loved people tend to love. So a lot of you are saying, yeah, well, guess what? I don't feel that love right now. I don't, fe- I don't feel that coming from him. And the answer is, I know. Been there myself. So what do you do about it? You stick at it. You keep coming. You keep reading. You keep putting yourself in the places where you can listen and pray and sit. And don't stop until you finally hear that truth being whispered sometimes, but maybe screamed at you in other times, saying, you're mine. I'm yours. You're precious to me, and I'm never going to let you go. I'll end with this last thought. I, um, I look at my daughters sometimes, and I say in my head, you know what? They have no idea how loved and cared for they are. They have no idea what their parents sacrificed for them. They can't. They can't functionally fathom those sacrifices. They can't functionally do that. And if that's true just in our finite sort of generational differences, how much more true is that for us in relation to God? When we meditate on the infinite love of God through what Jesus did, not just knowing in our heads, but but impacting our hearts filled with his love, guess what will happen? You will covet, but you'll covet the right things. It will change our over-desires and put them in the right place. God's not asking you to give up what you desire. He's asking you to put them in the right place. And will you do that because you see where he should be? It will allow you then not to turn to people and use them as things to get your self-worth, but you can just be present. Then you'll finally be able to love things for what they are and love people properly. Today, if you're a Christian, I ask you, Come back to your first love. Come back to the one that you've known at least at some point in your life where it hit you and you need to re-let it ignite your heart. And if you're not a Christian here today, I ask you, what do you love? And will those things love you back? Will they love you back in the ways that you need them to? And if they won't, will you, will you dare to let him love you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess, I don't know if I delight in your love, Love at the, at, it is a commitment, it's, it's, it's a centering, and often, Father, I, I center myself on other things. Uh, Father, I pray, this is a, this town, I love this space, I love New York City, but this is a world that's hell-bent on distracting us from you. I pray that we would recenter ourselves, I pray that we would walk out of here and not go, okay, a lot of us don't know how to get, experience that love, Father. And the problem is, is that there's, we're all made so differently. There's different ways. There's song. There's prayer. There's Bible. There's reading. There's, but it's, at some level, it's sitting and allowing you to be Lord in our life. I pray that we would be able to do that now and always. And if we did, we would move out in profound ways, and we would do it in profoundly different ways than the rest of the world And that would be a sight to see. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. 
We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.